Welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Swans, and today is the 16th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And with your spirit. To prepare ourselves, let us acknowledge our sins. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Glory to God in the highest, and And on on earth peace peace to people of goodwill. goodwill. We We praise you, we bless you, we adore you, we glorify you. We give you thanks for your great glory. Lord God, Heavenly King, O God, Almighty Father, Lord Jesus Christ, Only Begotten Son, Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, You take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. You take away the sins of the world, receive our prayer. You are seated at the right hand of the Father, have mercy on us. For You alone are the Holy One, You alone are the Lord. You alone are the Most High, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, in the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let us pray. Show favour, O Lord, to your servants, and mercifully increase the gifts of your grace, that made fervent in hope, faith and charity, they may be ever watchful in keeping your commands. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the Book of Wisdom. There is no God other than you who cares for everything, to whom you might have to prove that you never judge unjustly. Your justice has its source in strength. Your sovereignty over all makes you lenient to all. You show your strength when your sovereign power is questioned and you expose the insolence of those who know it. But disposing of such strength, you are mild in judgment. You govern us with great lenience, for you have only to will, and your power is there. By acting thus, you have taught a lesson to your people, how the virtuous man must be kindly to his fellow men, and you have given your sons the good hope, that after sin, You will grant repentance. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, you are good and forgiving. Lord, you are good and forgiving. O Lord, you are good and forgiving, full of love to all who call. Give heed, O Lord, to my prayer and attend to the sound of my voice. Lord, you are good and forgiving. All the nations shall come to adore you and glorify your name, O Lord. 
for you are great and do marvellous deeds. You who alone are God. Lord, you are good and forgiving. But you, God of mercy and compassion, slow to anger, O Lord, abounding in love and truth, turn and take pity on me. Lord, you are good and forgiving. A reading from the letter to the Romans. The Spirit comes to help us in our weakness. For when we cannot choose words in order to pray properly, the Spirit himself expresses our plea in a way that could never be put into words. And God, who knows everything in our hearts, knows perfectly well what he means, and that the pleas of the saints expressed by the Spirit are according to the mind of God. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, alleluia. Blessed are you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You have revealed to the little ones the mysteries of the kingdom. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus put another parable before the crowds. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. While everybody was asleep, his enemy came, sowed darnel among the wheat, and made off. When the new wheat sprouted and ripened, the darnel appeared as well. The owner's servants went to him and said, Sir, was it not good seed that you sowed in your field? If so, where does the darnel come from? Some enemy has done this, he answered. And the servants said, Do you want us to go and weed it out? But he said, No, because when you weed out the darnel, you might pull up the wheat with it. Let them both grow till the harvest. And at harvest time, I shall say to the reapers, First collect the darnel and tie it in bundles to be burnt, and then gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is the biggest shrub of all, and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and shelter in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour till it was leavened all through. In all this, Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he would never speak to them except in parables. This was to fulfill the prophecy, I will speak to you in parables and expound things hidden since the foundation of the world. Then, leaving the crowds, he went to the house and his disciples came to him and said, Explain the parable about the darnel in the field to us. He said in reply, The sower of the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed is the subjects of the kingdom. The darnel, the subjects of the evil one. The enemy who sowed them, the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. The reapers are the angels. Well then, just as the darnel is gathered up and burnt in the fire, so it will be at the end of time. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that provoke offences and all who do evil, and throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and grinding of teeth. 
Then the virtuous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Listen, anyone who has ears. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so in the Sunday cycle of readings, we're kicking on with this third discourse that Jesus has in the Gospel of Matthew, the discourse of the parables. And if you remember last week, we had the parable of the sower, and now Jesus is going to throw three more parables on top of it. So there's plenty to digest. There's plenty to go through. Now, the three that we have today are all about the kingdom of heaven. So the kingdom of heaven is compared to the man who sowed wheat in the field and whose enemy tainted the field with weeds. Uh, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast in a dough. Well, these three parables, they're there to help us to understand the nature of the kingdom of heaven. But first off, I think we need to make sure we don't allow the word kingdom to give us the wrong idea about what Jesus is talking about. You see, for us in English, kingdom usually refers to a geographical boundary. You know, the area where the king has authority, where he possesses power. So we talk about the United Kingdom, for example. It's got specific boundaries. And you can be either in the United Kingdom or out of the United Kingdom. Well, we might be tempted to interpret Jesus' words about the kingdom of heaven in a similar kind of way, that it denotes a location, up high and far away. But the the Greek word basileia for kingdom and, and the Hebrew word malkut um, it has more of an active sense. The kingdom of heaven should be understood more as the royal function that God has, his, his sovereignty. His kingdom is his reign, like R-E-I-G-N, right? Um, and the proclamation that Jesus makes is that the reign of God is becoming an event in history in a new way. Now, um, when Pope Benedict wrote the the second volume of his Jesus of Nazareth series. Um, Of course, the second volume came out first, which is a little bit confusing, but there you go. Um, He says this. When Jesus speaks of the kingdom of God, he's quite simply proclaiming God and proclaiming him to be the living God who is able to act concretely in the world and in history and is even now so acting. So these parables, they describe how God acts in the world. His reign extends. It begins as a tiny seed sown deeply into the interiority of man, but it grows according to its own vital force. It's like leaven, which is so potent that it has the capacity to raise a seemingly lifeless dough. The reign of God grows up alongside that which opposes it, but God's enemies will not have the final victory. So the kingdom of heaven, don't think of it as a distant place. It's the reign of God which is present to us here and now in this moment. God isn't a dictator who robs us of our freedom and rules us through oppression. We're invited to place ourselves under his lordship, under his reign, to open ourselves to his present action in history so that his reign might grow within us like the mustard seed, 
so that it might provide leaven to our lives, so that we might be gathered by him into the harvest. All right, having had a look at that, let's have a a brief little squiz at some of these parables. Because the first of the parables, um, it's a little perplexing. The owner of the field allows the weeds and the wheat to grow together, um, only to be separated at harvest time. And I suppose the analogy is clear. God allows good and evil to exist side by side. The rain falls on the darnel and the wheat in equal measure. But what's the take-home message? We've always been taught that we should strive to do good and resist the temptation to do evil. You know, we cultivate virtues and we fight against vice. But this parable seems to suggest otherwise. Is it suggesting that, you know, we shouldn't fight evil and that... We should just be satisfied with its presence among us? Does it mean that in our personal lives we should be resigned to the fact that there's a mixture of darnel and wheat and that I shouldn't do any weeding in my moral life? Do I just rest content with the fact that I'm a sinner? Well, certainly our Lord Jesus doesn't want us to lose courage in the battle against evil. We need to remain constant in our striving against evil because we know it's ever-present. There'll always be weeds of evil among the good wheat sown by Christ. Uh, And this is the work of the enemy, the one who doesn't sleep and the one who does his work under the cover of darkness. So why does God permit evil to grow alongside the good? Well, this is certainly the question that the hired hands ask of the owner of the field. Why not rip out the weeds? And the answer is interesting. He says, it's in favor of the good that God permits the evil. Weeding out the darnel will pull up the wheat. It's a curious logic. The work of the enemy is permitted in favour of the victory of the good. Without the brutality of the persecutor, there's no virtue in the martyr. Evil is permitted so that good may also thrive. Though the darnel grows and competes with the wheat, it grows only towards its own destruction because God will have his victory. Now, the darnel in the field is there, but neither does its presence change what we must become. We must become mature, harvest-bringing wheat. This parable doesn't allow us to be resigned to the fact of evil. We must struggle against it, and the promise that's made to us by the one who reaps is that weeds perish. And so, you know, the field isn't simply the field of our lives and we just resign ourselves to the fact that there's always going to be some sin there. No, 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 no. We need to be we need to be uprooting within ourselves that which we have the freedom to do. But when you look around at the world, there's going to be some darnel there. And don't lose heart. The parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the yeast and the dough, they they seem to speak of the slow growth of the kingdom. The seed begins as a tiny fleck, but eventually becomes a large shrub. And yeast doesn't produce a sudden expansion in the dough. It's a slow rise. From moment to moment, it's difficult to perceive a change. But the change happens nonetheless. And We may ask ourselves why God gives such priority to slow growth. Isn't fast better? After all, God's all-powerful. Why should his kingdom come slowly? 
It seems to be a characteristic of God's action, though, that he wants good things to begin small and to grow over time. Because God rejoices in our cooperation. Yeah, God can accomplish all of these things without needing anyone to lift a finger. And yet, God bestows on us the great privilege of sharing with him the growth of his kingdom. God's the beginning. He's, he plants the seed. But we're invited to cultivate and support its growth. This is slow. And, you know, it asks the cooperation of our wills, our intellect, our talents. It's slow, allowing all the opportunity to place themselves under the reign of God. But this is the great dignity that's bestowed on us to be the cooperators in the work of God. But at the same time, the growth is slow. And, you know, we need to struggle and strain a bit in our labours. The price we pay... And this is the sort of curious paradox. The price we pay helps us to understand the true value of what we're paying for. The coming of the kingdom and the extending of the reign of God happens slowly and with effort, but were it too simple and too sudden, we wouldn't know its preciousness and many would miss their chance. And, you know, the martyrs are the ones who show us that there's no price not worth paying in order to place oneself under the reign of God. And now let's together profess our faith by praying the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the the Father Father Almighty, Creator of of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell, On the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. At the Saviour's command, and formed by divine teaching, We dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Let us welcome Christ into our hearts with an act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. The Lord be with you. 
and with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God. And we finish by praying Pope Francis's prayer to Mary during the coronavirus pandemic. O Mary, you shine continuously on our journey as a sign of salvation and hope. We entrust ourselves to you, health of the sick. At the foot of the cross, you participated in Jesus' pain with steadfast faith. You, salvation of the Roman people, know what we need. We are certain that you will provide, so that as you did in Cana of Galilee, joy and feasting might return after this moment of trial. Help us, Mother of Divine Love, to conform ourselves to the Father's will and to do what Jesus tells us. He who took our sufferings upon himself and bore our sorrows to bring us through the cross to the joy of the resurrection. Amen. We seek refuge under your protection, O Holy Mother of God. Do not despise our pleas, we who are put to the test, and deliver us from every danger, O glorious and blessed Virgin. Amen. Thanks for praying with us, and may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.